0: You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. So glad to be here. We are um, in looking to this morning at how to build a belief system for battle. And I have found that building things into your life I think is one of the, the biggest parts of becoming a true follower of Jesus Christ I my husband and I both love plants and I love to fall in love with a plant and I love to bring a plant home and I have dreams of what it will become I have visions of grandeur for the plant and I think it will be great and then I get home and I forget to water it or by the time I remember to water it it's already struggling for its life um, my husband though brings brings a plant home, and he puts it in the soil, and he digs things into the soil. I don't know what, maybe like Eye of Newt or something. I don't know what he's putting in there, but he puts stuff into the soil to make it receptive to the plant and to make the plant be happy to live there, and his plant's flourish and thrive, and they produce actual tomatoes and things, and I think that really is such a good picture of spiritual formation. We we choose Jesus, and we're exuberant about our choosing of Jesus, and then that part, and we don't have to do anything to earn our salvation we don't have to do a single thing for that but then when we when we get it into the actual fabric of our lives and we start to work truth into the soil of who we are when we start to take the word and apply it in the the Eugene Peterson, fabulous commentator, always called it in the kitchen sink. Does this work in the kitchen sink of your life? And so when we start to work the word and truth and prayer and communion and giving into our lives, and then we start to look at the experiences of our lives and match them up with the truth that we're learning and working in, that's when we begin to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's when we become disciples who bear much fruit. And so a couple of things happened to me this last month that have been that for me. They've been two experiences that have matched up with something that I was reading in the word. And those two things together have become something that I feel sinking into the soil of my soul. I feel it remaking me into someone who I hope looks more like Jesus on the other side of it. So, the first experience was that uh, we I live part-time in Portland, and as you may have heard on every single news channel ever, um, Portland's experiencing a lot of protests and rioting for, I don't know, like 70 days now or something, 80 days in a row. It's been happening every single night, and we had heard a lot about it. We live in the suburbs. We don't live in Portland, and so it wasn't impacting our lives directly, but my husband wanted to see it, and he wanted to see it for himself instead of just listening to the news or listening to people who thought they knew. So we went down and and saw a lot of protesting, peaceful pro- protesting, and also he saw violent rioting. And then he also just saw some bad people doing bad things because they wanted to. And one thing he said when he came home that was really interesting to me is that he said, you know, I feel like we people were born for a fight, and these people just don't have a good one. They just they don't have a good fight to fight. And so when in absence of a good fight, we'll choose a bad one. And so that was the first thing. And then the second thing was that um, we watched a a documentary that truly has been life-changing for me. I'm going to tell you what it is because I think it's that important, and and I would love for you to take time maybe with your house church or with your spouse and watch it. It's called Free Burma Rangers, and it's on Amazon. And I'm going to tell you, it's a little bit of money. It's $19, but remember when we used to pay, like, $1,000 to go to a movie at a theater. Remember that? Remember when the popcorn was $700? So it's fine. Just get up off the $19 and watch the movie. It's so good. But um, it's about a family that, that goes to Burma. Burma is in the longest civil war in history. And they go just to help, they don't go to fight. They they go to be medics. They go to follow behind when big battles happen and help heal people and help give people hope and help them. They're internally displaced persons, and so they're helping them settle. And it's the story of how they give their life to Burma for the cause of Christ, and then to Iraq, and they and then to Syria. Syria, and and I watched it. Through so many tears, and I would stop and I take notes in my journal, and I my husband and I were in different cities at the time, and I text him and say, This is what I just saw in this, and I'm blown away by the idea of when we give our lives to the right thing, when we pick the right battle, everything changes. It matters to so many people. The punchline of this documentary is that they have now impacted 1.5 million people in the in the location they've gone to serve. So These are the things that have come together in my life and made me look around at society right now and look around at social media and look at the news and all the things and just realize there are so many wars to fight right now. There are so many things to have an opinion about. There are so many things that feel really, really important that are really, really important. There are issues everywhere. There is... There are wars between church and state and church and church and wars between generations and wars between spouses and wars between family members and wars between that are work related. And and there are just all kinds of battles to be fought. It, It feels like there are so many wars. And what I know is I can't fight all of them, but I also know I was born to fight some of them. I know those two things are true. And so how do we know which ones are ours to fight and which ones are not? Holding that question in the very front of our minds, let's go to 1 Samuel 23. Uh, This is a story. David has been anointed king, but Saul is still the actual king. So it says, it was reported to David that the Philistines were raiding Keilah and looting the grain. David went in prayer to God And said, should I go after these Philistines and teach them a lesson? God said, go, attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said, we live in fear of our lives right here in Judah. How can you think of going to Keilah in the thick of the Philistines? So David went back to God in prayer and God said, get going, head for Keilah. I'm placing the Philistines in your hands. So David won that war, and he saved the people of Keilah. Then David hears that Saul is coming after him, and he's now in Keilah, and Keilah is a walled-in city. And so David now has a decision to make. So he, then it says he, he prayed to God, God of Israel, I just heard what Saul plans, that Saul plans to come to Keilah and destroy the city because of me. Will the city fathers of Keilah turn me over to him? Will Saul come down and do what I've heard? Oh, God of Israel, tell me. God replied, He's coming down, they'll turn you over. So David and his men got out of there. They left Keilah and kept moving, going here, going there, wherever, always on the move. So this time, David doesn't stay and fight. He turns and hides. He runs and hides. And the result is that when Saul is told that David has run, he gives up his plan and doesn't raid the city. And then David enters this season of hiding out in these very obscure places from Saul. Twice more in First Samuel, David asks God about whether or not to pursue and fight Saul. Even though God has already anointed him as king, he does not assume that every war is his to fight. 2 Samuel 5, when David is actually king, the Philistines attack again, and David asks God, shall I fight them or not? And God says yes, and David wins. Immediately after that, there is a repeat performance, and the Philistines again bring troops against David, and David again asks, shall I go out and fight them? And what do you think by now? I mean, remember David's beginning in battle? It was Goliath, the Philistine. So David has gone after Philistine, after Philistine, after Philistine. Wouldn't you think by now he knows that this is the enemy and they fight this enemy, but he doesn't. And this time God says, don't attack them head on, circle around behind them and ambush them. David does it and the Philistines are routed. We see David over and over again saying, God, I don't know what to do about this. Show me how to fight this. I may think I know what to do, but I don't know what to do. And then there's this very telling verse about the guy that David replaced as king. First Chronicles 10 says this of King Saul. So Saul died for his unfaithfulness to the Lord because he did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium for guidance. And he failed to inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of of Jesse. God didn't actually strike Saul dead. Saul ended up falling on his own sword. But the point was that Saul didn't consult God. He didn't inquire. In fact, he even went to a medium. He went to a source he thought he could trust more. He went to a source that he could see and feel and touch. He went to a source that he could manipulate for an answer. And he didn't inquire of God. And over and over, we see that the key to winning or losing at war is checking in with God. And I know it sounds so simple, but I, every day... Assume I know what's right to do in the wars that I fight without stopping to ask, what am I supposed to do right now? What am I supposed to do in this? And from scripture, we see that sometimes God says fight and sometimes he says hide. And sometimes he says try a different strategy altogether. And this is so challenging because I really do. I want to choose every cause. I want to fight every war. I love to be right as much as I love anything in this world. I just I love having the answer, and I love saying the answer, and I've got a hair-trigger response system to what I perceive as injustice, and I want to take a swing. And since we live in this era where Philistines are not lined up in our driveway— where we don't have probably a a crazy king chasing us down through parking lots, it's harder for us to know, I think, who the real enemies are. Who are we really called to fight? And when I look at David's life, and I see that all his enemies were legitimate enemies, but he didn't fight every war the same. He didn't. Every war is not the same, even though the enemy might be. If you feel you've been fighting the same enemy for a long time, maybe inside of a relationship or an issue in your workplace or a political issue, don't assume that you're always supposed to draw your weapons. And also, every war has elements that we can see. We can see exactly what's happening in certain places, but it also has elements we absolutely cannot see. And, and so there are these behind-the-scenes things that only God knows what's going on there. And so we need his guidance because he can see things that are going on that we can't see. And also, he can see forward on the timeline. He who stands off of our timeline, he stands in eternity, he can see the way things will play out. And he can guide us to do what's right and do what's effective. And so I think it's so, so important that we listen and we know how to fight and when to wait and when to just love. And I don't have all the answers for that. I just don't. But I do know that I've watched some people do this really right. I've watched some people who are able to really pick their battles well and pick their weapons well. And so as I've looked at this in my own life, and as I've been determined I'm going to pick the right fight, and I want to fight it fair and well, um, I've, I've tried to cobble together some things that I see that are consistent in the good fighters that I know, and I want to just share them with you this morning, and I want you to, to be listening and so you can talk about them in your group. and start to apply and dig this truth into the soil of your life. So the first thing is, good fighters understand what they're for and not just what they're against. They have a for. They have a cause. They have something that's life-giving. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke uh, about water into wine, and I talked about macro versus micro issues. There are lots of macro issues that we can get involved in. There's there's racism and human trafficking, and the pandemic is a, m- a macro issue. Um, there's gender equality. There's separation of church and state. There are all kinds of things politically. There's abortion is a macro issue. There are all kinds of macro issues, but what I found is that the macro issues that we discuss, the way they take their place on the world stage, is always changing. The the you know we were we were talking about the pandemic for a long time, and then it switched to racism, and now it switched to human trafficking. We have short attention span actually from macro issues, most of us. But then I've been a pastor for a long time. And when I sit across the desk from somebody who's truly in crisis, their issues come down to one of about four things— The micro issues of our life, loneliness and identity and purpose and relationships, family, parenting, the the micro issues is where most of our real battles are fought. And oftentimes I think we use macro issues to distract us from moving into micro issues that can affect change in a big way. As we start to see healed hearts, as we start to see healed identities, we start to see a change come in the areas that we're, that we're struggling with on a big, you know, worldwide level. And so the micro issues really, really matter. And, and in those, we have to say, what am I going to fight for? What do I want to produce? What do I want to cultivate in this life? Now, it, of course, human trafficking is wrong. So what am I going to do that is life-giving inside of that? What do I want to apply my energy to, other than just hate human trafficking? What can I do? What can I put my hand to that would matter, that would affect change, even in one person, that would bring a change to that issue in some way? But we, because because we can be against things all day long, but it's hard to be for something. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says, "Without a vision, people perish." And that word "perish" in the Hebrew is is a is like a braided. Uh, hair. And it's to come unbraided or to come unraveled. It's to let your strength unravel. Let things come undone and so without vision we just sort of come unraveled we we don't know what to fight for we lose our purpose we lose our sense of identity and we don't know who we are anymore and so to have a vision when you have a true vision you know where to invest your dollars where to invest your time and your compassion and your gifts and all of a sudden you realize all these resources God has given me are coming together to make a difference in my world maybe only in someone's micro issue but I'm I'm telling you that really, really matters. So uh, people who are good fighters understand what they're for and not just what they're against. Second, every fight is fueled from relationship with God and not relationship with an issue or a party or a person. Every fight comes from knowing God. Knowing God is, is more important to David than knowing Goliath or than beating Goliath. In fact, David was a man of war, but the end definition of his life is he was a man after God's own heart. In Philippians 3, Paul says he doesn't care at all how well people think he kept the law. His only goal is to know God and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. And out of knowing God, I start to see his heart for the battles that are raging in my world. This doesn't excuse me from doing my homework and discovering what I need to know about the issues. But in every single situation, especially in macro issues, there is so much we cannot possibly know. There's just so much, especially if we're taking all our information second, third, 14th hand. So there's so much we can't know. So as we know God, when we can't know everything else, we can know him. When we can't know what's going on in the pandemic numbers, we can know God. When we can't know how to fix racism, we can know God. And he can tell us how to fight fair and well in the areas where he sent us. Number three, good fighters rightly identify the real enemy. It is, we always want an enemy. Everybody wants a good enemy to fight. Everyone's looking for a villain. Um, In our battle with ALS, when my husband was diagnosed with ALS, it was so hard to fight an invisible enemy. It was so hard to not have something to be really mad at. And so it was really tempting to make enemies out of all kinds of secondary players. Uh, we would make enemies out of doctors who didn't return phone calls or insurance companies who didn't pay the bills of the doctors who didn't return phone calls or um, each other. We would just sometimes want to take a swing at somebody. We would sometimes just want to lash out and kind of turn the steam valve and let out some steam, and it always created more trouble. Convenient villains are not worth the energy they take to fight, and Sometimes it, takes a, it does a whole lot of damage. I've watched over the past few months as brothers and sisters fighting macro issues have taken some vicious swings at each other instead. And out arguing your Uncle Gary on social media might feel good, but is that the enemy God has called you to fight? Is that the enemy of God? And I think it's just really important to know where am I going to put my energy and who is the real enemy? Ephesians 6.12 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not, it's not, it's not. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Make sure the enemies that you fight are God's enemies too. And number four, Good fighters know that their weapon of choice is love. Um, Matthew 5 says this, You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm not challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless, the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. This verse is so important because it reveals to us the core values of Jesus. Jesus, who came into a world packed with enemies, Lots of people, lots of enemies. And as we work these words into the soil of our hearts and then begin to practice them in the actual laboratory of our relationships, we become like him. And Jesus says, this is who you were created to be. You were created to be someone who knew how to wield the weapon of love really well. You were created to be someone who does the opposite of what everyone thinks you're going to do in that situation. He created us to love, and love is always a weapon in our arsenal. It is always there. It's always ready to be used for good, for truth, and for the win. Love never fails. It always wins. And so as we fight these fights that are in front of us right now, As we prepare to comment, as we prepare to respond to people in stores and in coffee shops, as we prepare to to go out into our world, a world that is filled with strife right now, how do we pick the right fight? Let's be willing to say, I'm going to do it. And I want to take a minute. And just do a spiritual practice right now. And we're just going to do it together wherever you are. I want you just, with the people in your room, wherever you are, I'd love for you just to hold your hands out in front of you. And close your eyes. And would you think of what comes to mind when I say the word enemy? Who this week is your enemy. Praying for our enemies is not optional. It is a spiritual practice as real and relevant as communion, as baptism. It is the words of Jesus. And so let's hold that enemy up to Jesus now and take just a moment and speak whatever blessing you can muster up over that enemy. Father, we thank you for love. The force that it is, we don't want to underestimate it today, and we may not be ready to look at the person we're holding in our hands and say we love them. That might be down the road, but today we can together say we bless them. We bless them as someone you created. We bless them as someone you love. And we ask God that you would transform our hearts, cause us to see and know your heart toward this fight. God, would you guard our words, guard our warfare, and let us fight fair and well as people call to this world to make a difference in the time that we've been given. We love and worship you. In your name we pray, amen.